uh, if you were here, you heard me announce that we would be back in the same text today, chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, and um, we're going to be looking at two more pictures of the Christian life, and uh, I'm praying that God will use these words to be an encouragement to you. I've come to Meadowbrook um, again today, last Sunday and today, not just to fill the, the pulpit. Uh, there has been uh, intentional thought and prayer to the sermons that I'm giving in these two Sundays. And there is a particular burden upon my heart and desire to be an encouragement and a help to you in your walk with God. Second Timothy was written by Paul to young Timothy. It was the last letter that he wrote to Timothy. It was one of the last things he ever conveyed to Timothy. When he wrote this letter, he was sitting under the shadow of the guillotine. He knew that it was only a matter of time, a brief time, until his head would roll gory in the dust and his life would be taken as a martyr. And he's writing to Timothy to encourage Timothy to stay the course, to be strong, to be of good courage, and to stay faithful in his relationship to Christ and in the ministry to which he'd been called. When you look at chapter 1 and verse 15, you see some of the motive. Let's look at verse 13 through 15, chapter 1, and you'll see uh, what I'm talking about in terms of Paul's desire and his motive and his burden. He says, Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which is, are in Christ Jesus. So already we're, he- we're seeing in these opening verses of chapter 1 that that Paul is encouraging Timothy to hang on, hold fast. Do not abandon the things I've taught you, the things I've said to you, the things you've seen and heard. Verse 14, that good thing which was committed to you, keep. Keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. And that word keep means really to put a garrison around it. Fortify it. Do not let it escape you. And then in verse 15, he says, this you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. So now Paul is reminding Timothy that, that others have already abandoned the faith. They've already given up. They've thrown in the towel. They've left me. And the purpose behind Paul's letter to Timothy really is to say, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't abandon your faith. Don't walk away. I need you to stay true and strong. So in chapter 2, we are back to our text. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses. Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So in chapter 2, we find Paul giving a list of pictures of the Christian life. And I find, as I said last Sunday, a picture to be worth a thousand words. I can look at the picture. I can look at the YouTube tutorial and know how to do it much easier and much better. I'm a conceptual learner. You may be a conceptual learner. If I can see the picture, if I can have an image, some kind of concept, then I can understand better. So Paul is giving these pictures in chapter 2 to give a concept. 
And before we get started right into today's sermon, let's just look back for a moment. The first picture, the first picture is that of a soldier. And a soldier, Paul says, must endure hardship. A soldier must make sacrifices. A soldier must be one who can withstand the battles of life. So Timothy, be strong and of good courage. Be like a soldier. And this morning we're praying that the Holy Spirit will put into our lives, your life and my life, the characteristics of a soldier. And then the second picture that he gave us is in verse 5. Verse 3 is the soldier. Verse 5 is the athlete. The athlete. And the athlete, the text tells us, the thing that Paul says about the athlete is he must com- he cannot be crowned unless he... Uh, competes according to the rules. So he says he must be a rule keeper. There is a book, there is a guide, there is a standard for the athlete, and he must keep that standard. He must keep that rule. And we have a guide, we have a standard, we have a rule, and it is the Word of God. And we must live according to the dictates and the truths of God's Word. But an athlete also has to make sacrifices. He has to be disciplined. And determined. But this morning we come to the next, the third picture, and that is the picture of the hard working farmer. Verse 6 The hard working farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Now I know some of you are thinking it's going to be a short sermon today. That's a short verse and it don't say much. Well, listen. I wouldn't guarantee anything this morning after hearing the choir sing that number they presented. If that doesn't put preach in the preacher, there's not any preach in the preacher. I tell you, the only thing I didn't like about it is that it was at its place in the service and not right before I came to the pulpit. I would have been soaring into the heavenlies. I had a little time to calm down, but uh, here we go. The hard-working farmer. That's what Paul said. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. The hardworking farmer. Now, may I make a confession to you this morning? I've, I've never been in the military service. I've never been a soldier. When I pastored for seven years at Weaver First Baptist Church, uh, we were a church and a congregation that catered to the Fort McClellan community. We had a lot of military people in our church. And I came to have a real appreciation for men and women who wear the uniform. Those of you who are familiar with the church know that we had a lot of military folks in our church at Weaver because we sought them, we wanted them, and we desired to have a ministry to them. We had enlisted men and women, and we had a number of officers in our church. Can I just reflect and reminisce for a moment on those seven years, which I still classify as the seven happiest years of my pastoral ministry? You have to be careful where you say that when you pastored several churches, but it's true. At Weaver, I had that kind of relationship with the people. Uh, It was a wonderful, wonderful time, seven years there. But it was not uncommon on a Sunday or any time we were at church for those men and women who wore the uniform to give a salute to me. They would see me in a hall. This was almost, uh, it was it was just the common thing to do. They would just kind of, it wasn't an official military salute. It's just a little tap, but they would salute me. And I was a bit uncomfortable with that because I, 
even though I've never been in the military, I understood something of military protocol. You don't just salute anybody and everybody. That has to be an earned and deserved. It has to be a position that merits that kind of salute. So I talked to one of the officers, a colonel, in fact, that was a member of our congregation, very active in the church. And I said, listen, I don't want to be disrespectful and I don't want to discourage anything, but is this appropriate for these men and women to be saluting me as they do and even as you salute me as you do? And he said, Pastor, there's not a thing wrong with that because when we're over on the base and we face those who are, uh, well, you know, officers salute enlisted people, enlisted people salute officers. He said, that's what we do. It's part of our family. It's a part of our regulation as uh, men and women who are in the, the military. And he says, because we recognize those ranking officers and they are our bosses and we respect that and we honor that and we salute that. And he said, when we are on the campus here at First Baptist Church of Weaver, you are the boss and we recognize that and we salute you. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you, that's the only time in my life that's ever happened to me. That's the only time in my ministry that anybody's ever even said that to me. But I understood what he said, so I would just return a little non-official kind of salute. But I saw something of the military in those years that deepened my appreciation for our men and women in uniform. They understood what it was to face the adversity. But we come secondly to the athlete, and I have to be careful here uh, I played baseball and football in, in high school, and I loved baseball. I was a better baseball player than football player. But when I first, my wife and I first married 45 years ago and as a young pastor, and I was much closer to those days then than I am now, and I would find myself giving some athletic sports illustration from my own experience in my sermon. And one day on the way home from church, my wife said, Roger, you need to stop doing that. And I said, why? I said, I did play baseball. And she said, I know. And I did play football. And she said, I know. And I said, well, why can't I reach back into those illustrations and experiences and use them to illustrate something in the sermon? She said, you always make it sound like you were better than you were. So it has been 40 years since I've given any reference to my athletic days. But let me tell you something. I come here this morning to tell you I know something about farming. I grew up in Arab, Alabama. I grew up in the country. My dad, we would call a hobby farmer today. He was a part-time farmer and a part-time real job. But I grew up, and I'll be brief with this because I tend to want to tell stories about it, but could I just say that from the time I was five years old, my dad told my mother to put a strap on a a, a cotton flower bag, a 10-pound bag, said put a strap on the bag, and my mother picked cotton. We had cotton farmers all around us, and we went, we went to the cotton field when I was five years old for the first time. And I picked cotton every year in the fall after that until I was 17 years old. And um, my dad made sure, one thing he, he made sure of was that his kids learned how to work and to do manual work, and I learned how to harvest corn by hand, cotton by hand. We raised pigs. I worked in a hog parlor when I was a young boy, about 10 or 11 years old. I'm not going to go into that story just out of respect for you this morning. 
Some of you don't even know what a hog parlor is. A hog parlor is where mama sows are brought in for a period of time before they birth their little piglets and they're cared for, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I was the in-residence OBGYN for the hog parlor. Use your imagination. How many of you know what I'm referring to? few of you. When we were pastoring in Blunt County at Locust Fort Baptist Church, it was the first time in a long, long time that I'd had the opportunity to plant a garden, about seven years. And the pastorium sat on a large uh, parcel of land, over an acre of land, and I had all the room I needed to plant a garden. And so for the first time, in about seven or eight years, I planted a garden. I worked so hard, I wanted to go back to boyhood days and to what I'd seen at my own home and to have that kind of garden with a variety of just about everything. And I worked hard and I planted a good garden. And that spring and summer, that was my therapy. The garden was my therapy. I received a phone call from a man in our church and he he said, Brother Roger, I need you to make a, a trip to the hospital, if you will. There's a man in our community. He's not a church man. I don't even know if he's a Christian. I don't think he is but he's in the hospital and he's very sick and the family has asked if I could find a pastor that would go and visit him. And I said, I'll be happy to go. And he said, well, I need to tell you something about him before you go. He said, he's a hardworking man. He's a big man. He's a working man. He's worked all of his life. This situation's getting to him because it's breaking him down. But he's a hardworking man. And he says he's, he's got a thing about preachers. And you may not have an easy time seeing him. But I kept my commitment. I went to the hospital. And I knocked on the door and there was a voice from inside. His wife and a couple of members of the family were inside the room. The voice had come in and I walked in and there lay on that bed this man whom I'd never seen before. I could tell by looking at him that he was that kind of hard, just a hard working, everyday hard working kind of fellow. He looked at me as I just walked in the door and he said, come here. And I walked over to the side of his bed and he said, let me see your hands. And I held out my hands. I didn't know. He said, let me see your hands. And I held my hands out and I'd been working spring and summer hard in the garden. My hands looked like a gardener's hands. I had calluses across my hands. I don't have those calluses now. I had calluses and my hands were weathered from that spring and summer of working hard in a big garden. I held them out and he looked at them. He said, turn them over, let me see. Turn them over, let me see. He looked at my hands closely. And then he said, sit down. I, I, at this point, I had no idea what was going on. He said, sit down. He said, we can talk. And I talked and I talked to him about Christ and shared with him his need for Christ. And I prayed for him. We had a good conversation. When I left the room, his wife followed me into the hallway. She said, I know you're probably puzzled by what he uh, did. She said, I didn't know that he would do anything like what he did. But she said, I can tell you why he did it. He wanted to see if you were a working man. And the only reason he asked you to sit down is because he saw calluses on your hands. Isn't that wonderful? The hard-working farmer. 
The hardworking farmer merits our attention this morning, and I want us to give our attention to him. This is a great talkative text, and as we look at it, I want us to just take it apart. I know you're saying, well, there's not much in the verse. Well, let me remind us, there's a lot of other verses in the Bible about the farmer, and they're going to come to our aid this morning. I love to read Christian biography. I mentioned that to you last Sunday, because in reading Christian biography, we discover the traits in Christians that made them durable Christians, strong Christians, great Christians, influential Christians, fruitful Christians. And that's kind of what we're doing this morning, looking at these pictures. We're, We're finding traits that will serve us well, traits that need to be in our own lives. Bishop Hanley Mole, a writer from another era, 19th century, a man that I love to read very much, said these words, wrote these words, he said, uh, regarding the farmer, he said, the strain and the toil of the farmer is unlike the soldier or the athlete. He said, the farmer's life is totally void of excitement. His life is remote and the glamour of glamour and uh, the peril of applause. I've never really thought about that before. But Mole is pointing out here, that the farmer works in quietness and he works in loneliness. He does not have the support group that the soldier has, that the athlete has. You see, when Paul used the illustration of the soldier, he was talking about a man or a woman who is surrounded by colleagues, other people in uniform, other people in the training, other people. Do you know that morale is a big thing in the military? Where does that morale come from? It comes from having people around you who are sharing the same circumstances, the same challenges. And Bishop Mole is simply saying that the farmer didn't have that. He was out in the field from morning till night all alone. He didn't have comrades around him. He might have had old Bessie the mule or an oxen or something like that, but no one to encourage him. Then Bishop Mole says also the athlete. The athlete comes from a life where there's, there's coaches and there's trainers and there's fans and there are cheerleaders, if you use modern day reference to this. But the farmer, no, the farmer's out there in the trenches, in the field, alone. And why did Paul put the farmer in here for many reasons? But for one reason to be sure is to remind us that we're not always going to be surrounded by fellow Christians. We're not always going to have encouragement. We're not going to always be in a place where we've got somebody to help push us on. We have to live the Christian life alone, alone. Not many years ago, I had a man come to my office. I was pastoring. He said, Pastor, I want you to pray that God will give me another job. I need, I need to, I need to find a new job. And I said, well, why do you want a new job? He said, I'm the only Christian in the place I'm working. Will you pray that I can get a job, another job? And I said, no. And he looked at me in shock. He said, you won't pray for me to get another job? I said, no. Why should I pray for the only light that's in that place to be removed from it? If you're the only Christian there, see it as an opportunity, a mission field, a place where you've been planning to be a witness for Christ. And I can tell you that man felt much like the farmer, the farmer who is out there alone. The soldier has his friends. He has his comrades. The athlete has his his cheerleaders and his coaches and his trainers. But the farmer works alone. I'm going to share some verses with you now, and if they could be on the screen, it would be helpful because I'm not going to ask you to turn to them. I'm just going to read them. 
Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 5. Listen to these verses. He who gathers in summer is a wise man. He who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. Solomon's talking about the farmer here. He's talking about the person who's working the land. He who gathers in summer is a wise son. He who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. Proverbs 20 and verse 4. It gets tougher. The lazy man will not plow because of winter. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. That's Proverbs 20 and verse 4. And then Proverbs 24 and verse 29 and 31. I went by the field of a lazy man and by the vineyard of a man devoid of understanding. And there it was, all overgrown with thorns, its surface covered with nettles, its stones, its stones were broken down. I looked up that word nettles. It's a new word to me. It's a, it's a, it's called the stinging plant. It is a plant that if you touch it, it stings like a wasp and not just one, but many wasps have just stung you. And here this man's field and his place is overcome with thorns, with these nettles and obviously not getting too much attention. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So there are all kinds of illustrations of the farmer and the neglect of being a hard-working farmer. Now in the ten minutes or so that remain for me, I'm going to quickly walk through it through four characteristics of the farmer. And these are the things I want to nail down in our hearts and lives this morning. First of all, the farmer must be hard, a hard worker. He must be a hard worker. That's right there in our text, verse 6, but it's also in that proverb that I read a moment ago from Proverbs 24. I want us to look at that proverb in its entirety, verse 30 through 34. Proverbs 24 and 30 through 34. We're talking about the first characteristic of the farmer is that he must work hard. Listen to these words. Solomon said, I went by the field of a lazy man and by the vineyard of a man devoid of understanding. And there it was all overgrown with thorns. It was, uh, its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. And when I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it with and received instruction, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. You say, what is the point here? The point is this, is that the Christian life is not an easy life. It's a difficult life. And it requires hard work. I think somewhere along the way that we, we kind of developed this idea that if we just occupy a place on a pew and hear a little teaching, hear a little preaching, and s- sing a few songs, that's going to make us the kind of Christian we want to be, desire to be, and that God requires us to be. But ladies and gentlemen, that's not enough. Being the kind of Christian God wants us to be, being the kind of servant that Paul wants Timothy to be, he is saying requires hard work. It does not come fortuitously. It does not come easily. It's not just handed out. 
Paul is telling Timothy to work hard on your Christian life just as the, as the farmer works hard on his crops. Some, some commentaries take that phrase hard working and they translate it this way. They say it carries the idea of sweat and strain to the point of exhaustion. Sweat and strain to the point of exhaustion. I can remember in those boyhood days growing up watching those old farmers in their denim shirts, long sleeve. I used to wonder why the farmers wore long sleeve shirts and big straw hats and bibbed overalls to do the the work they did in the hottest day of the year and on the hottest days of the year. And I remember the old farmer telling me as a boy when I was curious about that, and I was in cut-off blue jeans and a part of a T-shirt, and I said, how do you stand that? And he said, well, after you burn your skin up, you'll understand why I'm doing this. But he said, you know, it works like an air conditioner. He said, you'll see my shirt is dripping wet with sweat. My overalls are dripping wet with sweat. And he said, every little breeze is like an air conditioning. Well, I learned something and about what it means to be a hard worker. I can remember times on the backside of the cotton field when we weren't near the water source where we people would bring water. We had water at the weigh-in trailer where we took the cotton when the bags were sacks were full. And I'd be on the backside down there, and I'd, I'd get so thirsty. And I remember the old farmer one time reaching down and just picking up a small little pebble about the size of a pea, and he rubbed it like that. He said, "Put that in your mouth and hold it in your." Hold it in your lip. I said, put a rock in my mouth because I'm thirsty. Do you know what he was getting me to do? Salivate. That That's not even in my notes this morning. That is a bonus for you to know how to quench your thirst, but to work hard. Paul knew this. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. He says, for you remember, brethren, our labor and our toil. Listen to the language of Paul. The Christian life is not an easy life. It's not a soft life. We don't live it in the lap of luxury and ease. For you remember, brethren, our labor and our toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach the gospel of God. You are our witnesses in God also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. Paul says we labor and we toil, we labor and we toil night and day. I'm afraid some of us are missing out on a lot of the Christian life because we're expecting it to be easier than it is. I think that's why many Christians just give up and almost abandon or abandon the faith because they think they're getting on a kind of a free and easy ride and when they realize that it's not what they imagined it to be, they cast in the towel and they walk away and they say, that Christian life is not for me. We've never been promised that it would be easy. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. If it was cheap, Everybody would be doing it. But I think you are aware we're much in the minority today. Hard work. Secondly, the farmer has to be a person of faith and trust. Nobody knows what it means to have to trust in God like the farmer. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. To please Him, for He comes... For if he comes to God, 
If for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You must trust God. I think some of the saddest stories that I've read about farmers in days gone by, in the olden times especially, was when it came time to plant the crop. And the family had reached a place because of a bad crop the year before, and maybe the year before, that the only thing remaining for, was the seed corn, the seed potatoes, or whatever it might be for, just the seed. Some of you have experienced that. Some of you have read these stories of what do we do when it comes time to put seed in the ground and the only seed we have is the seed that we may need to eat to survive? And the choice is made, the commitment is made to plant the seed with faith and trust that the seed will bring forth a harvest. Now that may not sound like much of a story to some of us or to many of us, but for those men and women who were standing on the edge of poverty and holding in their hands what could be their survival, might be their survival if they consumed it, or hopefully to be their long-term survival if they planted it, what do you do? It takes faith to live like that. And the faith of the farmer is the faith that Paul is trying to instill in young Timothy. Number three, the farmer must work hard. The farmer must have faith and trust in God. But number three, the farmer must have patience. You know anybody any more patient than the farmer? He has no control over what's going to happen. He has to wait. 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 And this is a hard thing for us. The Apostle James picked up this very point in chapter 5 and verse 7 of James. He says, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently until it receives the early and the latter rain. The patience of a farmer. We live in the age of multitasking. My wife and I have had a serious debate about multitasking because I don't believe in multitasking. I don't believe it's possible to multitask. Psychologists say it only appears that you're doing more than one thing at a time. In reality, you can only do one thing at a time. I'm having this argument with my wife. Multitasking is an impossibility. She said that's only a thing a man would say. If you were a woman, you would understand. Have you ever seen anybody standing in front of a microwave like this, you know? Set on 30 seconds and you're trying to hurry it on. We laugh and we need the release of that laughter because it reflects where we are and how we live. And let me tell you something, that's exactly how we live the Christian life. We want it instantaneously. We want everything to be instant. We want our commitment to God to produce its ultimate results within five minutes and it doesn't work that way. It only takes a moment to become a Christian, but it takes a lifetime to be a Christian. And we need to understand that. Will you go back with me just for a moment to that pastorium at Locust Fork? Can I take you to that garden spot 
down behind the house where I worked so hard that first summer I had a garden. I tilled the land. I actually had one of the farmers to come in with a tractor and he prepared the place very well. And then from that point, I used tiller and hoe to make the way. It was a beautiful patch of soil, freshly turned and plowed soil. Smelled so good, looked so good. And I went out and planted it. And a week later, I was back in it looking for the results. And there wasn't any. I'm embarrassed to tell you this. And I'm going to ask you, please don't tell anybody I said this. But I did some spot checking. And I went and pulled the soil back to see what that seed was doing. And I saw it wasn't doing anything, so I covered it back up. The kitchen window overlooked that garden. And my wife was watching me on my hands and knees, scratching here, scratching there. And she knew what I was doing. And when I went back in the house, she said, I know what you were doing. And she asked this question, where's your patience? Where's your patience? Now, this may not sound like such a serious word to many, but it is for some. I encourage you to have patience in your Christian life. If you were to ask me this morning, what is, what is God's most used attribute toward you, Roger? What, which aspect of God do you exercise or test the most? I test His patience. I test His patience. And I've discovered that He's a wonderfully patient God. And do you know what He's trying to teach me? Patience. Patience. Do you know what that word patience means? How many of you have ever prayed for patience? We all have. And you know where I'm going with this. It comes from a Greek word. It's, the word is hupomone, and that's not important that we know that. But it's very different from the patience we know. It may, that word in the original language means to bear up under stress and strain and pressure. So when you're praying for patience, you're asking God to give you the ability to stand up under the strain and if you don't have any strain and you're praying for patience, God's going to have to give you some strain so He can test your patience. So here we are, bearing up under it. We need patience. My last point is this. The farmer reaps later than he sows. He reaps later than he sows. Second Corinthians 5 and verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. One of the difficult parts of the Christian life is that of waiting. But may I remind us this morning, there's coming a time when we will all stand before the Lord. As Christians, we will stand before the Bema seat, the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, if you're born again this morning and you can say that in certainty, I'm a believer, Jesus Christ is my Savior, and I know that your sins are under the blood. Your sins past, present, and future are under the blood. A Christian will never be judged for his sins. That's already been done on Calvary, and the price has been paid. Amen?
But we as Christians will be judged for our service. We will be judged for our service. And there's coming a day when each of us will have to come. And like a farmer, we will have to put before the Lord the produce of our life. We're talking about Christian service. And we have to put before Him the produce of our life. How many of us are going to have a basket full of produce, a basket full of fruit? How many of us will stand before Him with empty baskets? And you say, I don't want my basket to be empty. I want my life, I want my presentation to God when I stand before Him to give an account for my service to be one of giving Him a bountiful fruit. And there's one way to do that. There's one way to add to our doing that, and that that is to be like the hard-working farmer. The hard-working farmer. Amen? Well, that's the word for this morning. And I'm going to ask that we would stand and pray for a moment and ask the Lord to speak to our hearts as He speaks to our hearts, we will respond to Him. Father, thank You so much for the privilege of coming to Your house and lifting our voices to You in praise. And Lord, I still just echo my praise to You for the music this morning. Congregationally, especially the choir, it still resonates in my heart. Thank you for your word that speaks so personally and practically to our lives. And Lord, may each of us today in this room be seeking the characteristics of a soldier that we might endure hardship. The characteristics of an athlete that we might play by the rules and live disciplined and determined lives. May we learn from the farmer that it requires hard work. This is not a life of coasting. It's not a life of ease. It requires hard work. And then, Lord, as we come this evening to see the worker, the workman, that needs not be ashamed, we pray that we'll learn characteristics that will make us better Christians. Bring forward in this invitation time those whom you'd have come. In Jesus' name, amen.